Welcome to the Get Prepared Podcast, where we teach you how to future-proof your skills and become a lifelong learner. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you. Uh, I should say good morning for those of you that are joining us from the West Coast um, and good afternoon. Thank you for joining us on today's virtual event to discuss innovative solutions to the future of work. Uh, your moderators for today are going to be myself, Solar Chagbar, uh, Chief Visioneer at uh, Prepper, and Caitlin McDonough, um, who is, hi, Caitlin, uh, who's going to be chairing and moderating a lot of the sessions. Uh, for today. Before we get um, into it, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Magnet, from Ryerson University, uh, who's been generous enough to uh, support us on this event. Magnet, amongst many of the programs that uh, are offered by them, has a student work placement program to subsidize uh, students uh, being hired throughout the year. All right, wonderful. I'm going to pass the floor to, to you, Abby, here. Um, of course, uh, she doesn't need any introduction following that, that great discussion, but her topic is going to be on design thinking and student skills development, particularly around capstone projects. Um, so I'm going to pass the floor to her now. Great. And I'm just going to ask you to just give me a nod, Caitlin, if you can see that screen okay. <laughs> I can. So, um, I wasn't actually going to share any slides, but um, I, I decided um, as we were talking that um, it might be helpful to remember what things used to look like. And then uh, I want to talk a little bit about the, that pivot moment, although I did allude to it uh, during the Q&A, um, and, um, and then talk about what, what we think it's going to look like going forward. Um, and I'm really thankful to Malcolm for introducing uh, some of the things that I want to hit on um, in my talk, um, he's made it easier. So um, let me talk about what the program is first, just give you a little bit of background of what uh, user experience design uh, at Laurier looks like and why it was designed the way it was from an experiential learning perspective. Um, so it is a four-year degree with co-op. It was intentionally designed after about a year of meeting with um, UX professionals in uh, a range of industries. Uh, so everything from healthcare, government, education, finance, insurance, um, software, you name it. Uh, so we, we spoke with um, over 200 in North America, mostly Canada, some in the United States, and then also some in Denmark, uh, because I had a sabbatical in Denmark and UX is a big thing there in terms of um, sort of government, it's mandated by the government in some ways. Um, anyway, out of those talks came uh, uh, some, some guidelines that we used in helping us to design, iteratively design and prototype what, in that, what eventually became our four-year degree program in user experience design. And to Malcolm's points, there was a strong, strong emphasis on, um, you know, we can't, 
we don't we need students who've actually had experience in in real work environments uh, working on real problems um, and so we knew we needed to, to get that built into the courses from day one. Um, and as well, we know from research that um, these kinds of skills, they get introduced early, and they get practiced, they get honed, and then you need a way at the, at the end to sort of say, and have you really mastered um, some of this, uh, this work integrated um, uh, uh, skill set. So, uh, what we do in our program over the course of four years is just that. So we have a number of courses that um, uh, are primarily focused on, on uh, design thinking with clients. So those clients could be local community partners, uh, community or nonprofit organizations. They could be internal clients, so clients from within the university. Um, they could be companies, uh, startups, uh, or large companies, units within large companies. Uh, we Government, we've worked with uh, the city of Brantford on several projects. And these don't have to have a digital solution. In fact, we don't really want the solutions brought to us ahead of time. <laughs> that kind of negates what we're trying to do. So clients bring a challenge that they've been wrestling with to a class. In this case, in the first year, it's design thinking one. In second year, it's design thinking two. Um, in fourth year, it's the capstone. Um, and then little bits and bobs happen in other classes, but most formally in our design thinking one and two courses. The students then uh, in groups and teams work um, over the course of either six weeks or 12 weeks, depending on whether it's design thinking one or design thinking two. And in that process, they're taught a number of um, useful work-related skills. So things like uh, managing client expectations, uh, keeping within a client project um, scope and timelines. Um, communicating well with both your group and the client and the professors, um, reflecting critically on what worked and what didn't work and how you picked yourself back up when something didn't work. Um, so those are all sort of very much uh, what I would say basic skills that everybody needs to know to work anyway. Um, then the content specific to design thinking, they also learn um, how to understand a user perspective, who are, who's the audience, the intended um, end user of a product or a service uh, that your client needs designed, um, what are the challenges around that, what, who are the stakeholders involved in that, um, developing empathy, and so the research methodologies that you would use to develop empathy for those users, um, and then um, how to iteratively prototype solutions, test them out a little bit, see what's working, what's not working, bring that back, blow it up, try again, fix what's not working, how to test along the way and at the end, and as I said earlier, how to communicate every step of the way with your client, with your professor, with your peers, and with stakeholders if they're involved. So. Um, yeah, so in general, from this slide, this is kind of how a class, a typical design thinking uh, class looks. Uh, and so we're all together in a room. Um, but then what happens? Well, let's see. 
if I can just get to my next slide. Oh, I should show some of the classrooms, by the way. Um, this is what they're looking like right about now, I should, uh, I should guess. Uh, but the, the large one, the large green one, that's where we do most of the design thinking courses. Um, the smaller blue one uh, on the left bottom is where we actually meet with clients if we have face-to-face -face meetings with them. Uh, it's where we meet with um, possibly end users or stakeholders. It's also a place where uh, groups can meet uh, with each other. Um, but as I said, um, even though we provide these spaces for these things to happen, one of the things I learned when we had to pivot in, at the end of February was that students were already meeting with clients online. That was good for the client, it was good for the students. Students were already meeting in their teams online. That, that seemed to work for them. Um, even though they have access to all of the spaces 24-7, um, they, they might use them. They might come in on their own time together, but just as likely in between face-to-face uh, -face meetings, they would supplement that with um, online uh, and remote kinds of um, meetings and document sharing and prototyping tools um, and what have you. Um, the other thing that we do in the program, and this came out of the early um, interviews that we had done with all the UX professionals, um, was that a portfolio is the way that um, most employers in UX, um, they require a UX portfolio. And these are different from a graphic design portfolio or a, a strict design portfolio, because UX portfolios tell a story of, what research was, what, what the challenge was, how that challenge was understood, what uh, research uh, methods uh, and results uh, were, were done, what you, what you found out about the users and the needs that they had, um, how you uh, iteratively designed and developed solutions, what worked, uh, what didn't work and how you pivoted or if you couldn't pivot, why not and what you didn't, how you, how you addressed problems. Um, so we begin students on their first portfolio in their first semester. Um, and uh, then every course that they take in the program for the remaining four years has a portfolio component, even if it's a theory a very very strong theory forward course, there's still a portfolio component uh, where the students are thinking very uh, critically, they're reflecting back on what they've learned and how it could be or will be or was applied to a real problem. So if they're in a theory course where they weren't asked to uh, work with a client or apply um, the, uh, the theory to a direct problem, this is their opportunity then for them to think about how they would have or how they could have in the future. So um, as I said, we have portfolio reviews on an annual basis uh, with uh, UX professionals uh, working in the, in the field. Um, and then after their third year is completed, then students go into co-op and we have, um, Again, we heard from UX professionals that one of the problems they had with co-op um, 
uh, just shout out to Wendy. We, we heard back from actual employers some of the same problems that she highlights in her research uh, is that, you know, they're getting a lot of the same uh, kinds of students coming from computer science and engineering um, and sometimes business, um, but they're not getting in co-op placements for um, the kinds of more liberal arts or more um, um, STEAM rather than STEM type individuals that they're looking for, um, and they're not getting, they weren't getting the diversity that they were looking for. As well, we were hearing that students coming into co-op in, after one year or even two years were often not prepared, well prepared, and that the co-ops uh, co themselves were too short. Uh, their, their length of time that they had a student, they would just get up to speed and then it was time to go back. Um, and so that was uh, uh, highlighted as being problematic in a number of ways. Um, so our co-op is a year long. Um, we may, uh, after this year, we may alter that to being an eight month co-op placement, but it happens after their third year is completed. So at that point, they've had the, the vast majority, they've had two thirds of their courses, their coursework, their portfolios are fairly um, robust and have been reviewed. You know, they're ready, um, they're ready to enter a workplace, we feel, because they've had then two design thinking courses where they work with clients and groups. So we know, we feel very strongly that these are students that you could plug into an organization, give them real problems and turn them loose as though you had hired a full-time employee. Um, without so much of the early stage handholding and onboarding that, uh, is often required of younger, uh, less mature, um, less well-trained co-op students. Um, the co-op we heard from a lot of companies didn't work um, for them no matter what. And some of it had to do with um, funding and some of it had to, uh, had to do with quick turnaround times uh, for projects. And so one of the things that we built in is a fourth year co uh, capstone course. So if the students are working in teams with clients in design thinking one in their first year and design thinking two in their second year, by the time they come into their fourth year capstone, they're working with a client, and that client can be from the nonprofit sector, it can be a startup, it can be government, uh, it can be a large industry, it doesn't matter. They'll work um, on shorter term, faster turnaround uh, projects, either with one client in succession or with multiple clients. Um, so, we did that so that you know clients who have a longer project that they really do need somebody to spend 12 weeks or even two semesters working on it, they can, they can have that. Or a client who wants to go through one iteration of let's say 12 weeks and then at the end of that see what uh, prototype they have and what, what they want to do next, if they want to pivot, then they have the same, the ability to, to have the same student working on that, on that um, that capstone. So all of these are work integrated learning with different flavors. So some from the very short, just a couple of weeks, all the way up to the potential to do a full year. From a full year paid where you're in, you know, in a co-op program to almost a full year, two semesters unpaid as part of a capstone. Um, and this gives our students as well 
multiple opportunities throughout their program to try on different facets of UX and different industries. And so I'll give you an example that I thought was kind of uh, not, not intuitive to me. Um, I had a student who in his, no, her, sorry, her first year, um, she was absolutely certain that she wanted to do UX uh, for a nonprofit. Um, she was really, really um, attracted primarily to the notion of, you know, designing a better world um, and, you know, doing this, you know, in a very altruistic and, and um, she was also extremely interested in what we call green UX or uh, designing for um, environmental and climate, you know, change. Um, she still has these principles. Um, she hasn't abandoned that, but her co-op, she had an opportunity to work with a nonprofit or to take a job with a much more higher paying um, financial uh, company, uh, a company in the financial industry, and she took that. I think one of the reasons that she felt that she could do that it's because she had done her design thinking and other course, you know, in work integrated learning in her courses, uh, working around nonprofits and working for um, environmental organizations within government. And so she has that in her portfolio already. She's experienced that. I think she really wanted to try on and see what the other side was like before she graduates. So she'll come back after a year, she'll do her capstone, then she'll have an opportunity to choose, you know, the type of industry, the type of client, the type of project that she wants to work on for her capstone projects. Um, and then when she leaves, she'll have a really robust um, portfolio showing different kinds of work experiences, both paid and unpaid, in class, not in class, um, for profit, not for profit. Um, I think I think that's really um, what we want. What we really want work integrated learning uh, to be like for our students and also for um, for our clients. Okay, so having having talked a little bit about what we do, um, as I alluded to during at the end of the um, of the panel discussion, we had a big pivot, obviously, in uh, at the end of March. Um, Prepper was supposed to come. We were going to do a, a big design sprint with them uh, in person, face-to-face -face, in that green classroom that you see there at the top left. Uh, we were also going to be uh, doing our portfolio reviews and we were in the process of uh, interviewing and nailing down co-ops. And all of that changed and became remote uh, and uh, digital. And where the students and most of our clients bounced back really, really well. Um, not all faculty in all, um, in all of the university departments um, were able to embrace it as easily, as seamlessly. As long as technology and access were, um, were not a hindrance, and sometimes they were, we talked about that. But as long as that wasn't a problem, uh, the ability to segue very neatly into this kind of remote working was not a problem for our students. It was, as I, told, as I said earlier, a bit of a problem for some companies who are hiring co-ops for whom the HR department, their idea of what the co-op was and why you were doing co-op was very different. And they weren't able to pivot as quickly as I think they would have liked to. And so they actually um, did, uh, did withdraw and we had to then 
you know, juggle quickly to find other positions. Um, so what that tells me is that um, there's there's a there's a there's maybe a, an opportunity for us to rethink how co-op is um, managed and run the processes by which it's managed and run uh, within organizations. So I think I think there's an opportunity there. From the student side, um, a lot of students were suddenly in a position of needing to explain to possible potential employers whether they would be able to work remotely and how how did they know that they could work remotely so that was never something that they'd actually built into their portfolios and uh, and now they need to be able to do that as well so I, we're going to ask that uh, we're going to highlight that going forward as being a piece of a portfolio that you'd want to have a, a reflective piece about how you work um, how well you work and the kinds of methods and mechanisms tools and techniques that you um, as an individual embrace to afford your ability to work uh, remotely in teams and so to uh, embed examples of, of you doing that um, and to highlight uh, success stories um, as well as your failures and how you recovered so just as we would highlight design challenges uh, in the same method we also want students now in their portfolios to maybe highlight their their work practices both face to face and online and to talk about that in a critical reflective way um let's see what else can i say what else did i have to say going forward i am um sorry caitlin i know it's almost time to wrap up i'll make this quick so going forward um my university like most of the universities in Ontario, uh, we've been asked to prepare just in case for uh, a fall that may be online. We don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know if that's going to be necessarily for everyone true. Um, and I have to say, as I work through that with my faculty, I was uh, quite surprised. Some of the courses that I thought would be very difficult to teach online, it turns out that the faculty feel like there won't be any trouble whatsoever. I, I cannot imagine teaching graphic design online. Uh, but my graphic design instructor assures me that he's been screen capturing uh, online uh, his lectures for years now. So He's he's good to go on that. Caitlin, I should turn it over to you because I see we're already at 306. Can you can you just say something really quickly and I'm just gonna go motion to somebody out the window. I'm sorry. Hold on. Sorry, <laughs> I just had a bunch of dirt delivered for my garden. Sorry, <laughs> I was on mute. This is our, our new reality, right? Juggling uh, how to use the technology, manage the deliveries, and, and whatever else is happening in our homes these days. I should have been on mute. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite all right. Um, you know, one of the things that actually I think was really interesting about sort of your program and, you know, the work that you're doing with students is that you're giving them so many different types of work integrated learning experiences throughout their program. Um, I think that's unique in general, and it certainly is very unique for university students, right? 
I guess one of the questions, and this is a bit of a loaded question, so perhaps you'll have to forgive me after, but you know, what advice would you give to whether it's students or you know, co-op advisors or other career professionals, and how do they help to create similar experiences for students and programs that maybe aren't as well adapted to, um, to either remote learning, but also like the, the multiple experiences leading up to getting someone into a workplace? Because I think what you hit on there was really critical, right? That yeah. it's not about that first major placement, it's about them transitioning and like building up their skills to actually succeed there. Yeah, I'm going to take that in a couple of pieces, if you don't mind. So the first thing is the biggest challenge that we have and that I've heard from um, uh, a lot of the clients, the people that we worked with, is that, um, you know, sometimes they need a UXer, but sometimes what they might need is a sociology student or sometimes what they might need is a history student or sometimes what they might need is a digital media and journalism student. You know, there's, there's a lot of great talent student talent at our universities, and there are a lot of different kinds of things that they're learning. Um, I'd like to think that UX students could do it all, but in reality, there's these other skills that students are learning in other classes. And so clients often say they wish that there was a one-stop button on the Laurier homepage that would be like, hey, do you want to partner with some students? Um, that, so some place that they could go where they could, you know, basically fill out a form and say, yeah, I'd like to bring a problem to a class and have a class work on it. Uh, or I'd like to, you know, hire one student for a small period of time. Or if there's a capstone that could be appropriate for this, I'd like to do that. So from the, from the external, like, how do I support my stakeholders? Um, I think, like, I'm happy to, you know, to to bring them to my program, but in a larger sense, they, they need more access to more university students. Um, and maybe not just at my university, as much as I'd like to keep them at Laurier, you know, maybe this is a, an Ontario university's uh, challenge, right? How do we make, make it possible? How do we, who could be the matchmaker, Caitlin? <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> um, so that's why. The other, the other part of your question was about pedagogy. And I would say most, most faculty, at least I would hope that most of my faculty colleagues today, they understand that if you have, you, you have some content, you have some learning outcome for your program. And in fact, we all have been creating learning outcomes for our, our curricula for a long time. So there, there's an understanding that you have to spend some time in the early stages introducing concepts and theories and skills, um, and then some period of time, you know, additional course coursework and um, years, uh, sort of practicing, you know, taking those theories out for a little walk uh, and reflecting on them periodically, uh, taking those skills out to town and seeing how they how they work for you, um, and then you need some kind of at the end, you need some way of kind of demonstrating your acquisition of that theory, knowledge, and skill set. Um, so that's not, that's not new. That part's not new. The part that might be new for some of my, uh, some colleagues is looking at how you, how you, we work integrated learning into that, that thinking. Um, and I know that my colleagues in social work have done this for years because field placements are a thing. You have to have uh, community service learning so many hours of it. So it's it's not just UX that knows how to do this. Other other 
departments do as well. But I would say uh, not everybody, it's not completely um, embraced across campus. Um, and, and then the last thing I would say to that is that culturally, there's a bit of a, um, there can be a little tension at some universities and some programs, um, a hesitancy to become too applied, right? Uh, or to let industry drive what we do. Um, and so um, those departments, those educators, you know, they need to find a way that um, if, if they're going to do work integrated learning, and I hope they will, um, they, they have to have ways and processes in place that enable them to set boundaries uh, and make sure that their boundaries are protected so that they aren't letting, you know, say Microsoft come in and tell them how to teach, you know, their courses. Um, and as well at, at Laurier and at the University of Waterloo and at other uh, universities, I think Ryerson as well, um, students and faculty do own their own IP. And so we, you know, I have in place um, agreements that I share with clients so that they understand what the limits of their use of the, the technology that's developed for them can be. Um, and, and the students understand as well that they're allowing the client, you know, to have access to their IP in these ways. Um, and so I think it's important to make sure that, you know, you negotiate those things as well if you're going to have work integrated learning. Sorry, I keep having this problem today. Um, you make a really good point around, to some degree, there is the demand on the employer side, but we don't necessarily have, um, you know, that a lot of them have been having trouble being finding that connection. And that, that's actually what we're going to be talking about in our next panel. Sorry, I don't know why it's echoing all of a sudden, but. Uh, no, it's good. It's, it sounds good on this side. Okay, perfect. Um, well, thank you so much for your time and, and your talk today, and uh, we'll we'll continue on with our next talk. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'll turn my.